0: But find Ephesians 5 in your Bible, and uh, we will read verses 8 through 33 again this morning. So after you found that, stand, and let's read it together. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that your word gives us principles to live by, that uh, you have given us the practical instruction that we need uh, to uh, live in our homes and our families and uh, to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to have wisdom in applying uh, these truths to our lives and we know that there, every single day are things that come up that we need to uh, uh, be wise and we need to apply your biblical principles. So help us with that because, Lord, we want to honor you. And we want to be pleasing in your sight. And we want to have marriages and families that honor you. And so, Lord, we just pray today as we walk through this passage, as we look at uh, uh, parts of it that are emphasized and are important to apply that you would help us with that. So, Lord, as we worship, uh, Lord, we uh, worship with grateful hearts. We thank you so much for the gift of eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we rejoice, we uh, sing, we uh, praise your name, we offer our gifts, and uh, we desire to serve you and to serve you well. So, Lord, bless again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Nice night. In June, stars shine, big moon. In park, with girl, heart pound, head swirl. Me say, love, she coo like dove. Me smart, me fast, never let chance pass. Get hitched, me say, she say, okay. Wedding bells. Ring ring honeymoon everything settle down married life happy man happy wife another night in june stars shine big moon ain't happy no more crying baby walk floor wife mad she stew Me mad, stew too. Life one big spat. Nagging wife, bawling brat. Me realize, at last, me move too fast. Perhaps that describes some of your feelings about marriage. What often starts out so wonderful can quickly deteriorate into regret. One guy said, I didn't know what happiness was until I got married, but then it was too late. Okay, now that's a joke. No nasty emails. But listen, a lot of people get married with stars in their eyes. And then, later, they end up rubbing their eyes, wondering what went wrong. Unrealistic expectations of marriage can quickly lead to disenchantment. One guy said to his wife, How can someone so beautiful be so foolish? And she said, Well, God made me beautiful so you would marry me, and he made me foolish so I would marry you that's a joke too. I don't think God can be blamed for foolishness. But the truth of the matter is that even though God created marriage to be the most fulfilling relationship on earth, there are few couples who are experiencing the fullness of joy that God intends. Now, I'm certainly not saying this morning that Marriage is supposed to be some kind of heavenly bliss without any problems. But I do believe that there are many who are settling for less than God's best. And Ephesians chapter 5 is a passage of Scripture that describes the Christian walk. The operative principle is that if we are going to live the Christian life, we must operate as Spirit-filled Men and women. And the kinds of homes, and in particular the kinds of marriages that God desires for us to have, can only be experienced as we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this implies two things. First of all, it says that these principles are for Christians, because those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and therefore will not have the ability to do what Ephesians 5 and 6 tells us makes for a fulfilled family. Secondly, this assumes that while every Christian possesses the Holy Spirit, not all Christians are continually being filled with the Spirit. And remember... The Bible equates being filled with the Spirit as synonymous with allowing the Word of God to dwell in you richly. So, what I'm saying here is not some kind of mystical thing. What I am saying is that not every believer is constantly being immersed in God's Word and is obeying God's Word. Verse 18 literally reads be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to get our theology right about the Holy Spirit. There is only one baptism or indwelling of the Spirit, and that takes place at the point of your conversion, your salvation. That is a permanent status. Once you are baptized by the Spirit, that is for. Ever. That is permanent. But the Bible tells us there is to be a continual filling of the Spirit, which is simply a way of saying that we're to walk in obedience to the Spirit and to live under His control by doing what God's Word says. Now, sometimes people use the phrase carnal Christian And I personally don't believe there is such a category of Christian because someone who is characterized as being carnal is someone who is indicating they're not really born again. But I do believe that genuine Christians can act in a carnal manner at times. And the point of Ephesians 5 is that if we act carnally, we will have problems. In our marriages, if we act and behave in a spirit controlled manner, we will produce the kind of relationship that is fulfilling and one that honors Christ. So Paul says if we are walking in a spirit filled way, there are going to be some tangible results in our homes and those results are described here As spirit-filled communication, a heart of gratitude, and a willing submission to God and to one another. Now, these are the characteristics of a spirit-filled home. And if we don't see those results, then we're not really walking in a spirit-controlled manner, no matter what we might claim. And Paul makes it very clear here how these results are to be seen in a tangible way in our families. And so he takes four major relationships in the family, and he uses them as illustrations of how this is to work in real life. He uses the illustration of the spirit-filled wife and her relationship with her husband. He employs the illustration of the Spirit-filled husband in his relationship with his wife. He points to the Spirit-filled child in his relationship with his parents. And he points to the Spirit-filled parent and his relationship with his children. And by the way, I'm using those masculine pronouns to refer to either gender, okay? I would probably be put in jail if we were in Canada, but that's another issue. The point here is that everything God has for us in regard to a fulfilled family is all based on whether or not we are walking in the Spirit. You know, folks, we are drowning in a sea of information about marriage and the family today. There are all kinds of books and seminars and blogs, etc. And although those things can be helpful and good, the bottom line is none of those things will ever do any good at all if we are not, first and foremost, living constantly controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. None of those things will help us if we're not walking according to the principles of God's Word and in obedience to the Lordship of Christ. Unless we are willing to die to self and follow God's plan for marriage and the family, we are going to be dominated in our relationships by self-centered demands and expectations which will never bring fulfillment into our homes. One author likened it to the dog and tick syndrome. Those who are not spirit-controlled are like a tick jumping onto a dog, fully expecting to be completely satisfied, only to discover that there are two ticks and no dog. If both the husband and the wife are filled with self-centered demands and expectations, the two ticks don't do very well. And listen, you can get mad at me when I talk about God-ordained roles in marriage, but the real question is, on what level do we want to live? Do we want God's best? Any of us, of course, can choose to ignore what God says. We can decide that we really think we know better than God, and we can come up with all kinds of good-sounding rationalizations for why our situation is different, but none of that will ever change the principles that He has established for the home. If we are wise, we will choose to live by His higher standards. That is what is called maturity in the Christian life. A mature believer is one who does what God says as a way of life. Now, of course, the world thinks differently. I mean, what else is new, right? Even when Paul introduced these principles in his day... They were completely counter to the culture of the Jews, Greeks, and Romans. Paul is not saying here, I want to remind you of some things you already know. He's saying, here is a new standard to live by. And this standard will not be possible unless you are continually operating in a spirit-controlled manner. He was calling them up to a higher standard back then in his day, and God is still calling us to that higher standard today. And we have to decide if we're going to live by that higher standard or if we are going to settle for far less than God's best. Now, in verse 21, Paul says that Spirit-filled families are going to practice mutual submission to one another in the home. And we looked at that last time. So we need to begin today by looking at the meaning of submission. The meaning of submission. Submission is the theme all the way through this passage. So we need to understand exactly what it means. It is the word, hupotasso, which is a military term meaning to line up under. And by the way, this is not a coercive thing at all. It is a voluntary action. The whole Christian life is a life of humility and submissiveness first to God and then to one another. And there is to be submission all the way around in a Christian family. Wives have gotten the brunt of this teaching on submission because verse 22 specifically says that wives are to submit to their husbands. But husbands have some submitting to do as well. Verse 25 says husbands are to love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I can't think of any greater act of submission than that. There is no greater act of submission than to give one's life for the sake of another. And husbands are to have that kind of love for their wives. That self-giving love is a form of submission. And we see the theme of submission going into chapter 6 as well. Children are to be submissive to their parents and obey them. Parents are to be submissive to God and not provoking their children to anger. So, everywhere we look in this extended passage, we see the principle of mutual submission. But having said that, this morning we're focusing on wives. And the only reason we're starting with the wives is because Paul does. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, begins by looking at Spirit-filled wives. So that's where we will start. And don't worry, we will get to the husbands and the children and the parents later. But we're going to take this passage right down the line in the order in which it was written. So here we go. Look with me at Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, some have pointed to the fact that the word submit or the phrase be subject to does not appear in the Greek text of this verse. That is true, but the concept is implied from verse 21. And again, the word hupotasso to line up under is the term that is used. It is a term that refers to function, not to essence or value. And remember, this is to be voluntary, not coerced. This is all love-motivated. Note also that the word for obey, which he uses in reference to children in chapter 6, verse 1, and for slaves in chapter 6, verse 5, is not the word that he use, uses for wives. The relationship of the husband and the wife, is on a completely different plane. This is not the picture of a wife as a doormat for the husband. This does not mean that the husband has the right to bark orders to his wife and she must comply. And I believe that many husbands have abused this teaching on submission, not having a good grasp on the fact that they also have a great responsibility to love their wives. And you see, along with the principle of mutual submission in marriage is the principle of oneness in marriage. And a godly husband will always have the wisdom to listen to the loving appeal of his wife because the oneness of marriage demands that. But having said all that, the truth of the matter is you simply cannot get around the fact that according to Scripture, God has given the headship responsibility in the home to the husband. The Bible makes that absolutely clear, not only in this passage, but also in Colossians 3.18, in 1 Peter 3.1, and in Titus 2.5. And the only way we really can get around this would be to tear several pages out of our Bibles. And you know how strongly the Word of God warns against doing that. But please understand, submission does not mean that the wife is not part of the decision-making process in the home. The oneness of the marriage means that she is very much part of that process. And yet, it is clear that God has given the headship responsibility to the husband. Paul says that she must be willing to line up under his authority. It is authority that God himself has given to him. And listen, I don't really uh, care what this world has to say about it. I realize that this may make somebody mad this morning, but I would much rather be faithful to God's Word than to worry about what someone in the world might think about it. I certainly don't want to take a position that merely is going according to the cues of our secular society. And I don't want to simply tell you something that you want to hear simply because it appeals to the flesh. I want to give you what God's Word says. And this is clearly what it says. And folks, listen, this is not some Old Testament law here that we could point to and say, oh yeah, but that was back. No, this is right smack dab in the heart of the New Testament. This is included in the part that Paul Explains about how to live the Christian life. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you want to boil it all down, side by side in the New Testament epistles, we see two major principles for women. We see equality and submission side by side. There is equality in regard to value and standing with God. But alongside that, there is the role of submission to her husband as unto the Lord. And it's not a matter of who is better. It is simply that God has determined that it be this way. God has given equal value but different roles. And God made the husband and the wife uniquely different to become one flesh. And in that oneness, he has assigned unique roles. Not to erase the equality, but to enhance both of their lives. Oh, please hear me this morning. Submission is not a dirty word for the wife. It is the way she contributes to the oneness that God has ordained for marriage. It is a place of protection for the woman that God has established. Well, we have to move on. Not only do we see in this passage the meaning of submission, but we also see the message of submission. What kind of message does a submissive wife send to her husband and to the watching worlds. Why is this an important quality in a spirit-filled wife? And I think there are several aspects to this message. First of all, she is sending a message to the world about Christ and the church. You see, when our children and others see our marriages, they should be able to see a picture of Christ and his relationship to the church. People see the submission of a spirit-filled wife to her husband. They should be gaining a better understanding of the church's submission to the lordship of Christ. As they see the sacrificial love of a spirit-filled husband toward his wife, they should be gaining a better understanding of Christ's sacrifice for his church. Marriage is designed to be a picture. We are a living, breathing picture of Christ and His church. Now, this is made clear in verses 31 and 32, if you look at that. But folks, listen. When people see a reflection, uh, when people look at our marriages, do they see a reflection of Christ and His church? Is that what your children are learning from you in your marriage. But there's another message here, another part of this message that is sent by a submissive wife. In verse 33, we see where Paul adds the element of respecting your husband. Look at it with me. "'Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself.'" and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Listen, there is no greater way to say, I respect you than by showing by your actions that you accept your husband as the head of your home as God has ordained. I mean, even secular psychologists recognize that respect is the number one need for men. But this is a biblical principle. And wives, understand the message you are sending your husband is loud and clear. It is loud and clear. You are either sending a message that I respect you, or you're sending a message I don't respect you. And the message you are sending is all built on the degree of willingness that you exhibit in allowing him to be the head of your home. Now, of course, at this point, there are all kinds of exceptions that come up. Someone might say, but pastor, my husband's not even a Christian. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that leads us right to the third biblical reason for the submission of the wife. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, and let's look at verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that is a reference to a lost condition, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and, what's that word? Respectful behavior. You have an unbelieving husband and you want to see him come to know Christ. What is the best way to accomplish that? According to Scripture, it is through a heart of submission and by showing him respect. Someone might say, but pastor, you don't understand. If I submit to my unbelieving husband, it will be awful. He doesn't obey God's word. That's why this verse was written. What should a wife do in this situation, she should submit to him anyway, and as she does, her respectful behavior toward her lost husband may very well be the thing that brings him to christ and notice she's to do that without a word, without a word. Don't go around pasting gospel tracts all over the house don't uh. Right, repent on all his beer cans. You know, don't nag him with the gospel. Simply live the Christian life before him. Try modeling the kind of submission to him that Christ deserves from the church and see what happens. The Bible says you very well may be able to reach him without a word. Now, that's not my opinion. That's the Word of God on this issue. Of course, the passage goes on to say that there's no guarantee he will get saved. This is not a guarantee that you will be able to reach him for Christ. But God says in His Word, this is the best way to reach a lost husband. Well, we've seen the meaning of submission and the message of submission submission. Thirdly, let's note the motivation of submission. Why should a wife have a spirit of submission toward her husband? The proper motivation is found in that last phrase of verse 22, as to the Lord. You see, your submission to your husband is an act of obedience and devotion to Christ. You say, well, what if my husband doesn't love me like he's supposed to? What if he's a selfish baby and treats me like dirt? May I be so bold as to say that God is the one who has commanded this, and he is more than capable of taking care of your selfish husband your only responsibility is to submit to his headship and to love him and to treat him with respect. This is the same principle that we see in Scripture related to employment. The Bible says that we are to do our work heartily as unto the Lord. The Bible doesn't say, work hard if you have a good boss. It says, you do it, As unto the Lord, no matter who your boss may be. And regardless of what kind of working conditions you may face, you are to work hard. Why? Because you're doing it as unto the Lord. You're doing it for Christ's sake. And that's the same way in which a spirit-filled wife should see her role of submission. It is as unto the Lord. You're not doing it because your husband deserves it. You're not doing it out of your, uh, out of some kind of trying to accomplish something or get something for yourself. You're doing it out of the proper motivation of your love and devotion to Christ. Well, there's one more thing that we need to see here, and that is the magnitude of submission. Verse 24 says that wives ought to be subject to their husbands, notice, in everything. Do you like the sound of that? You say, preacher, now you've gone too far. Wait a minute, I didn't write that. This is what God has declared. I've heard wives say, well, to be honest, I'm afraid to submit to my husband because if I do, I'll lose my rights And he will take advantage of me. In fact, I would say that there are at least three primary reasons why women are often afraid to be submissive to their husbands. For some, there is the fear of what he may ask her to do. For others, there is the fear that he will not be responsible enough to lead in the family, and for others, there is the fear that he will, in fact, fail in leading in the home. But listen, in 1 Peter 3, we have the example of Sarah's submission to Abraham, and there it tells us that Sarah had no fear in submitting to him because of her faith in God. Sarah believed that God knew how to deal with her husband if he needed to be dealt with. And in fact, she believed that God could do a much better job of dealing with her husband than she could. And that was the faith of Sarah, to trust God and therefore to have no fear in submitting to her husband. She simply believed God and focused on her own responsibility, which was to adorn herself with submissiveness to her own husband. Why is the issue really is faith? How much do you believe God? How much do you believe that God honors His Word? How much do you trust God to deal with your husband if he needs to be Dealt with. You say, preacher, is there ever a time when it is right for a wife not to submit to her husband? Yes, there is one situation in which that is right. It is in the case where he asks you to do something that is a clear violation of God's word. And if that happens... You should do as the apostles did when they were commanded to stop preaching the gospel, and you should say, we must obey God rather than men. This is the only biblical exception. When a husband asks his wife to do something that is a clear violation of Scripture, well, these are no doubt higher standards. These are principles that are foreign to this world. In fact, uh, if we were in a secular format, we would be laughed at this morning in regard to this. Even many Christians do not understand this or accept it. But this is God's way. This is His design. How do we follow these principles? There's only one way. We are able to do this as we are walking in the control of the Holy Spirit of God. It won't happen any other way. But we can live according to these standards because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we follow these principles, we can experience God's best. How about you this morning? Are you committed to doing things God's way? Are you willing to do what God says will result in a good picture of Christ in the church? Are you willing to trust God and believe that He knows best? These are His principles. Will we live by them? Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you would help us to be. Wise that we would, we would not be fools, but Lord. That we would follow Your way and do things as You have given to us. We know that this is Your design. It's given to us in Your divinely inspired Scripture. And so, Lord, we we don't really care what the world thinks. We don't care what the world says, but Lord, we want to do things Your way. Help us with that, and Lord. We pray this morning. If there's anyone here today that has not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they would come to know You so that they can get in on, on Your design for the family. And Lord, we pray that uh, all of us would have willing hearts and soft hearts toward You and Your Word, Your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we pray now that we, as we respond, we would respond in the way You would want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.